You're listening to the Castle Rock Brewery podcast. 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 Hello, and welcome to the first ever episode of the Castle Rock Brewery podcast. My name's Liv. I'm from Castle Rock, and I'm joined here today by my colleague Nick Strang, who is uh, making this all possible with his technical know-how. We've got some special guests with us here today, but before I introduce them, just going to tell you a little bit about what we're doing. So we've wanted to have a podcast for a while and not had um, the skills or equipment to make it possible, but uh, now we've got Nick, so here we are. And we're going to be putting out episodes intermittently throughout the year, focusing on various things that we've got going on, talking about different beers, having a chat with people in our communities. And for these first three episodes, we're going to be focusing on our relationship with Nottinghamshire Wildlife Trust, as we're now celebrating 20 years of our partnership together. So today I'm joined with Emily Patrick and Erin McDade from Nottinghamshire Wildlife Trust. And do you guys want to tell us a little bit about what you what you do at the Trust? Yeah, hi Liv. Uh, yeah, I'm Aaron McDade. I'm the Head of Communications. Um, cover all of our external communications, whether that be our work with the media or our publications. Uh, and over the years, I've had a, a long history of working with a number of our cor- corporate partners, Castle Rock included. I'm Emily Patrick. I am our Business Partnerships Officer. So I work with local businesses across the county um, to look at ways that we can work together and make a difference for wildlife and just just how people can be more sustainable. Thank you for coming here today guys it's really exciting to see you and obviously 20 years is a really long time Um, everything started back in 2001 when I was 11 and that was long before I even came to Nottingham Um, but Erin this has sort of been your baby for for the past 20 years so do you want to fill us in on how it all started way back when? Yeah, it certainly makes me feel old uh, looking back 20 <laughs> years. Um, but now I remember it really vividly. Um, so we've long had corporate partners and one of the few occasions I'd actually been taken out for dinner by a, a one of our corporate supporters and we were just chatting about, you know, different things and I just said to uh, a, co- a colleague then, you know, I'd really like to find a way of bringing together two of my interests, you know, beer and wildlife. Um, and, and Martin, who I was out with, literally said, oh, I can introduce you to somebody that might be able to help with that. <laughs> um, and that's how the meeting with Chris uh, was organised, so Aww. it came from a it came from a you know a sort of throwaway comment almost with w- one of our other corporate partners at the time, um, and he did. He, he was true to his word. He organised the meeting with Chris, uh, had a very informal meeting in the uh, the beer garden uh, at the Victoria, um, <laughs> and just laid out you know this idea about having some themed beers yeah. to help us raise awareness of our work and, and hopefully raise a few quid as well. Yeah. Um, and Chris just got it straight away and, and sort of you know thought it was a great idea and said, well, why don't we give it a go? We caught up with our founder, Chris Holmes, to hear how he remembers his first meeting with Erin. Being of my age and a, a somewhat failing memory, there might, I might have got, the, I might misremember some things, but it's fairly clear what happened. My, my memory is that sort of approximately, I don't know, 21 or 22 years ago, Erin um, McDade, who I think is still with the Wild, Wild, Wildlife Trust, isn't he? We had a meeting, actually, uh, in the back garden of the Victoria in Beeston, which is I'm still associated with. Well, that was a what then was a Tynemill pub before we before we changed our trading name to Castle Rock. And Erin explained to me that there's a, a new there's a new scheme 
had been announced by the government and that if the Wildlife Trust could come up with a new source of funding from organizations like, like ours, then the, the government would match that nine to one. So in other words, if we gave them a thousand pounds a year, the government would give them 9,000. So we came up with this idea that the, the Wildlife Trust would, uh, would come up with a species of either flora or fauna that could be con considered endangered, uh, that was in, in their area, you know, in the, in, the, in the East Midlands. And they would come up with the names of the, of the animals or plants and then we would make a beer and we would give it that name, whatever it may be, say a dragonfly or a water rat or whatever. And for every pint of beer that we sold, we would give the Wildlife Trust 10p. And on the basis of that, the government would give them 90p for every pint. I personally very much support the work that the Wildlife Trust does. And it was a great way of us donating to them, but at the same time getting the benefit of nine times that amount coming out of central government coffers. And that's how it all began. My memory is that after a few years, instead of doing it on the basis of how many pints we'd done, it was always around about £3,000. So we carried on doing a different beer every month but we just gave we gave them three thousand pounds a year it was great for us because as well as well it's obviously giving money to the trust but it also gave the brewer a good chance to try new recipes mess around and play and it was a new guest beer that we could introduce into our range for sale to other people so you know it was a very symbiotic as far as i'm concerned it's quite an unlikely friendship, isn't it, really? If you think, you know, who's a brewery going to partner with or who is a Nottinghamshire Wildlife Trust going to partner with? I think it is quite an unlikely pairing, but if it goes back to your personal interests, that makes perf perfect sense. <laughs> yeah, it, it was, but it's also a lot, of our, a lot of our partnerships at that time were what you might have expected. You know, we were mm. an environmental charity and we were working with the big power companies, you know, with water companies, which we still do today, but it was very much about that relationship between, oh, these are the companies mm -hmm. that might have an impact on the environment, therefore they are they're going to they're going to partner with you know an environmental charity. And a lot of our relationships were quite formal. Uh, many charities at that time had sort of you know tiers of membership, so you'd have a gold, a silver, and a bronze membership. Whereas yeah. our relationship with Castle Rock was much more organic, and mm -hmm. it was about finding something that worked for us both. Um, and certainly the early publicity that we generated, the interest. I really do think it's helped to shape how we work with companies. Yeah, I think it's the same for us as well. Um, it definitely, yeah, paired the way for how we how we approach things. I think it's the it's the community aspect, isn't it? So we're we're so um, ingrained in our communities, and they they're central to everything that we do, and central to everything that you guys do as well. So in that sense, it you know. It actually does, it's not unlikely at all, it does make sense. Yeah, and, and it gave us an opportunity to sort of, you know, to put messages across, but we also had some fun, you know, we had some yeah. fun, for fun with it, you know, yeah. a lot of our 
corporate work, as you might say, at that point was quite dry. Whereas actually the relationship with Castle Rock, we were putting out messages about species that were threatened or uh, habitats that they relied on. Um, but we were putting it across in, you know, in quite a light way. Yeah. Um, it did generate a lot of interest in those those early days. Yeah, and, as for you sure. say, and, and then, you know, your audience, your customer base, our our members and supporters, um, it was an opportunity to reach out to them, but then, then beyond them. Um, and then it really, you know, to some extent sort of picked up a life of its own. talk about so the natural selection bit is what obviously the kind of the main bulk of what we were doing um, back in the day and um, yeah do you want to tell us about those and what the kind of thinking was behind them yeah well, when we kicked off you know we, we, we Chris said let's let, let's give it a try let's let's try I think I think we said six months or the rest of the year I think because I think it was a summer um, and we we picked six beers um, and see how it went um, and at that point it was we were picking particular species um, I remember at the time the, the Red Admiral it was a question of well, what do we do in terms of artwork how do we mm-hmm. you know, how do we make this happen uh, and we got six watercolours um, that we'd used for a membership leaflet you know we looked at those and said what have we got available um, obviously things then developed on and that artist we then started to commission yeah. that artist to do bespoke illustrations you know as the beers developed um, but I remember in the early days obviously you know brand new beer themed beer for wildlife that was a news story but when two three four years in we were putting out our next beer and there was one every month and we were still generating television coverage we were still generating regular coverage in the evening post it it did seem to strike a chord um you know i think there are many of those sort of collaborations now but i I think we were you know we were sort of in the early stages i just think that i think the way we approached it i think that's partly why it sort of it did generate so much interest in the early days and i think the really key thing from from your perspective is that they were new beers um and i think a lot of people you know i was always explaining i'm, I'm not in the brewing industry I, I like drinking beer but I, you know <laughs> i was always explaining no no these these are brand new beers you know the team have created a recipe from scratch and that almost became the sort of the, the regular yeah. question yeah i mean we it, even today really it's you know we, we're still putting out beers very regularly but to put out a new beer a new recipe every single month with a new focus obviously so you said at the beginning you were kind of working you were focusing on what you already had watercolors for so you could use those as the artwork but as it went on were there like particular reasons why you chose different different species or different floral fauna yeah we, we over the years there's been many different themes and i remember one uh, one particular time we wanted to focus on you know uh, wildlife that lived in sort of farmland so we picked i think fat hen was <laughs> one of the you know is a weed you know it's, it's a sort of an arable weed um people say well, what on earth is a fat hen why have you chosen fat hen and it but it was having that flexibility to say well no the reason we've chosen fat hen isn't because it's an instantly recognizable species it's because we'll have an opportunity then to talk about changes in the agricultural system oh, and cool. you yeah, know how we want to work with farmers so yeah there were those there were, there were some obvious ones where you know, there were just species we wanted to celebrate yeah. things like bluebell which obviously linked to you know to woodlands um but yeah things like fat hen or stone loach or um you know uh, some of the, the the more obscure species we had that flexibility to talk about the issues around them yeah, and that was one right. of the real benefits of having such a regular regular program yeah you could um, be strategic but people, yeah, assumed in the early days that they were just rebadged so we've got down that we think that we've brewed over 150 unique beers in support of the trust i think now that that number was from a few years ago so i think now we're probably at 155 160 unique beers which is mind-blowing um there is a particular beer 
that is infamous in the Castle Rock family. Um, it's just the most hideous name <laughs> and the, the most, I mean, obviously the paintings are beautiful, but the most hideous pump clip, um, brown trout. <laughs> We're just wondering who was responsible for that. Was that yourself or? Probably. I think, <laughs> I think that came, probably came in the same, in the same group as stone loach probably. Yeah, that's on my list yeah, as well. as yeah, a, To enable us to talk choice. about, you know, freshwater habitats and, yeah. and species that we perhaps have or haven't had, used to have. I remember we did, we did a, a project um, looking at sort of the quality of the River Trent and um, things like the sturgeon, you know, we, it, you know, interestingly, we just had a report of you know a, a porpoise back on the Trent, and <laughs> people not realising some of the wildlife that we either used to have or don't have anymore because yeah. of pollution. So yeah, we were able to play around with all of those issues, but it, the, the the constant churn did mean that occasionally there was a species a bit more obscure, yeah. or, perhaps, or perhaps not the most attractive of species yeah. made it in. And I think that I think, I think the programme was all the better fun. for it. Yeah, for sure. And I think if anything, it was probably more popular for that reason. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely think it's uh you know if, if we put out a customer vote to bring bring one back I think brown trout would probably be number one by quite quite a way. <laughs> and obviously and obviously from you know from our point of view the fact that there were new recipes and that you know a couple of those recipes have you know have made it into your you know your your your, yeah, your sort of you know, your, your ongoing uh, program is is really important and yeah. you know I think that was again one of the strengths of that early partnership. Yeah for sure so so screech owl was part of the um Wildlife Trust's Adopt a Species campaign in 2008. And that, um, as probably most people know who are listening, that's one of our permanent beers. So it's, you know, incredibly popular and an integral part of our beer range now. Um, so, yeah, it just kind of shows if you think outside the box and do something, you know, a bit unique and interesting that it can have a lasting, you know, a lasting impact. Early days, there was some filming at the Vat and Fiddle um, for Primrose? Yes, there was. That, that's, that was an interesting one. As I say, quite, quite often in the early days, we did get you know, radio, TV coverage, uh, as well as the, the, the newspaper stuff. Um, and that one, we'd been out to Plowman Wood, one of our ancient woodlands. I'd been up there with the, the BBC crew, if I remember. Uh, and then we came back to, to the VAT to talk about the programme and talk about the, the, the issue. And again, I think we would have been talking about spring woodland wildflowers and, and, yeah. and woodland management, trying to remember back a long time. Um, but yeah, I just remember for continuity purposes, um, we kept taking a sip from our beer. I think it was the end of the piece. Uh, and then they shout of cut and then they started it again you know <laughs> they had to top the beer back up to the uh, to the point they were because they were all on the table and they were all in shot and I, I just remember that well, that was that was quite an interesting one I think from that point I think people assume every time I was working with Castle Rock that I was on the beer and, you know, <laughs> nothing could be further from the truth actually you know, the, the times when we were you know very few and far between but that one was one I do remember we, we did have quite a few quite a few quite a few sips of, uh, <laughs> of that particular beer. So another one, uh, 2006, we've got a photo of um, the world-renowned botanist and wildlife campaigner, Professor David Bellamy, at the brewery. Um, and, uh, yeah, it looks like he was here to celebrate five years of the partnership, which is just, I mean, do you remember that? I just think that's so lovely that there was a celebration at five years, because five years is a long time for a partnership. Um, to think that we're here at 20 now is 
you know, is amazing. Yeah, and uh, you know, he was a, a long time uh, president. He was one time president of the Wildlife Trust. He was certainly a hero of mine growing up. You know, sort oh. of all over the telly, and, and brought a lot of people to to you know quite a dry science of botany. Yeah. Um, you know, and to, to make that uh, of interest to the to the nation, I think, is an achievement in itself. So he'd always been a hero of mine, and to actually he used to come and support a lot of our events, uh, particularly our our corporate awards, our our Green Guardians awards. Um, so he was often in Nottingham celebrating and, and supporting us with those. So I. I I remember correctly i think we linked in that celebration to to one of those to one of those visits um but it was great mm-hmm. to have him, have him at the brewery um and saying he, he was always an you know, inspiration to a lot of people there was some controversy later on and you know his life about things like around climate change and whether mm. he was a, a climate change denier but actually you know having spoken to him met him on a number of occasions yeah. you know, his passion for wildlife and, and getting people engaged with wildlife mm-hmm. never disappeared and i you know I, 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 I certainly hate for that to sort of be lost in sort of you know some 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 more detailed and nuanced discussion around you know, yeah. climate change. Obviously now, the issues around climate change are absolutely you know, front and centre, which really is inspiration and getting people interested in wildlife on their doorstep and, yeah, and looking at plants, which yeah. is what, you know, one of the reasons we, we brought him over to celebrate with us. I mean, those people are key in, you know, in carrying on interest in those areas. In my own family, my, my grandparents were you know, huge um, on the natural, natural world and wildlife was so important. Um, to my granddad and to my grandma who's still with us um, and you know the entire family right right down to the the little ones that are popping out now are you know love love the the natural world so I think yeah, the part that people play in just sort of igniting our interest in something when we're younger is really yeah, and something like botany, I say, is quite a quite a quite a could be seen as quite a dry interest. But when you think, you know, when I was growing up, you'd actually got like Lenny Henry doing impressions of David Bellamy on on children's <laughs> television. So that that's that, that's cutting over, that's that's crossing over into sort of popular culture. Yeah, so for sure. Sort of forget that the element of actually popularising wildlife yeah. and, and getting people interested in it. Yeah, I think that was really important. down here as well in 2011 we did butterfly counting for the launch of comma which i think is so lovely and would love if we brought that back at some point um and maybe have some sort of competition going on because our our, uh, our customers are definitely a competitive bunch as are everyone <laughs> in the castle rock family <laughs> well s- certainly over the last the last decade th- those 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 public engagement that sort of citizen yeah. science has really taken off uh, things like big butterfly count and, and, and the rspb's big garden bird watch mm-hmm. people really do seem to really enjoy taking part in those yeah. particularly if they know that the, the data is actually being used for something and, yeah. and those data sets are now so big that they are actually they're scientifically robust mm-hmm. i think it's important when you are doing something like a count 
to be clear what it's for you know yeah. is, it, is it to get people to take notice is it to get people to understand you know which species should or shouldn't they be in an area but if you're doing actually recording um i think it is important that you use the data and um you know we are exploring this year what what species we might be able to reach out to encourage people to record to send records to the existing schemes you know we always promote the big on bird watch we always promote the big butterfly count um but yeah seeing whether there is any recording we can drive uh, that gives us a bit more of a local perspective but it, yeah, it's really great. important not to just do them in a tokenistic way you've, you've got to be able yeah, to use yeah, the data it's the, yeah, yeah it's the, yeah what's the purpose behind everything that we do on a more <laughs> on a more entertaining i mean i think this is one of the joyful campaigns that you were talking about but elsie moo was also she was quite famous that that was just bonkers uh, <laughs> <laughs> we had we had a, a well yeah for a period uh, you know a a, a three-dimensional but non non non-living care was actually uh, <laughs> uh, was sort of almost the face of the trust in, in castle yeah. rock and and would turn up um all over the all place. over the place and and uh, it was all linked into uh, a campaign to increase our sort of grazing herd our conservation mm-hmm. grazing herd um We'd chosen to sort of uh, bring back a herd of uh, Lincoln Reds, uh, traditional species, yeah. um, sort of a, a, a traditional breed, uh, sorry, uh, of cow, very much used across the East Midlands. Um, and yeah, Elsie Moo was a sort <laughs> of a, a promotional idea. Um, I can't remember. It, I'm sure, I think it came from. It might have come from Charlie, actually. Yeah. Uh, so I was going to mention Charlie Blomley, who was kind of she was she was around at the very beginning of the of the relationship and I remember her being very passionate about about Elsie Moo. <laughs> yeah. So yeah and, and so, so Elsie would turn up at various events and we would pictures of pictures of Elsie at you know locations would would, would just appear <laughs> um and then um one of our volunteer groups knitted a, a sort of patchwork blanket for for, <laughs> for Elsie and yeah it, it, uh, I, I remember Elsie, Elsie came into the brewery um some of our team were doing a, yeah. were doing a sponsored uh, I think they're doing one of these mad assault course type races um and they came in and cleaned out all the barrels and yeah, Elsie was in the I've barrel seen store that and too, yeah. yeah so yeah it's it just yeah, it's just another example of us having some fun around yeah. you know it was a, a serious campaign it was a serious fundraising campaign yeah but adding um, some joy and to I remember it in the end there was two there were two Elsies in a secret there were two <laughs> two of the cows and one of them ended up with a <laughs> with a hole being cut in somebody thought it was a good idea to turn it into like a, a money box oh, so no. actually people were putting money into the <laughs> into the back of this two foot high cow um of course then we had the challenge of it actually wasn't a money box money how do we get the money out <laughs> yeah so trying to break into one of the hooves if oh poor Elsie <laughs> correctly and I believe, I believe Charlie I think Charlie's leaving gift was yeah, the other Elsie yeah. I think Charlie has the, uh, the I'm non-damaged sure I remember Elsie. some tears at that at that leaving day when she received a giant plastic cow for her <laughs> pretty uniquely I think gift. it's yeah I think it's quite iconic to be honest so we've also got a photograph of Castle Rock becoming a wildlife guardian in 2013 um what does that what does that entail I love the phrase wildlife guardian because I think that really does show what businesses like us are trying to do we want to play our part in you know in protecting yeah, well, that, that was a re- that was a really important evolution of our of our work with 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 companies, you know, local and and, and national, uh, to sort of get them more involved in our work. So yeah, Wildlife Guardians was our corporate engagement program. So at that point, all of our all of our corporate partners, big and small, um, 
we were looking to try and encourage more of them to become wildlife guardians, which was a sort of, you know, the next stage up. Um, and obviously Castle Rock were an obvious candidate for that because of that the longevity of that partnership and the, and the level yeah. of fundraising um, and, and the, the income directly from Castle Rock and the fundraising around that. Um, and that, that was part of that programme. And out of that programme also then evolved our Green Guardians uh, awards programme, which was yeah. an environmental awards programme. So it was quite a core programme for us uh, at that time. Oh, lovely. And then, so I, I can remember this one quite clearly. Um, Mike Dilger visiting the brewery in 2016. But Dan, I think that was when we did an Attenborough beer. But obviously he's, I mean, he, I would say that he's one of those kind of crossover figures that he's he's kind of uh, known in a bit more of uh, popular culture. Yeah, Mike. Mike's a great friend of the trust. He's one of our vice presidents, um, and he, he lives down uh, Bristol Way. Um, he's best known for his wildlife slots on the, on the One Show, and I yeah. think that that does help with that crossover because yeah. the One Show still gets a huge audience, and yeah, it's not just a wildlife audience. Things like Springwatch are really important and really popular, but mm -hmm. with a particular part of the, yeah. the audience, whereas one show you know it's lots of people watch people. it reaches new people and mike's great at that um but he's the reason he's involved with the nottinghamshire wildlife trust is uh he went to university here in nottingham he used to work for um conservation volunteers here in nottingham when he was a student uh, and attenborough was on his birding patch so he's got a soft spot for the city soft spot for attenborough yeah. uh, and so now he's still involved as a, as a vice president now um and i happen to know that mike kate Likes the occasional beer <laughs> as well. Uh, I've enjoyed a few beers with Mike, and it just seemed a natural fit. So, just a great way of us uh, sort of celebrating that partnership, yeah. reaching out to new people. So, mm -hmm. if I'm ever trying to describe, you probably you'll probably you'll probably not forgive me for this, but when people are struggling to place him, I always say, you know, you know the loud shirts and the, uh, the, the, ball, <laughs> the, the ball the ball go with the loud shirts on the one show, and, and like, they all oh. go, ah, absolutely. Um, it makes clear, and everyone remembers them because they've seen all those amazing wildlife bits that he does on that show. I went to university here. I did biology here. This is where I cut my spurs as a birder. Um, I've spent a lot of time actually bird watching around Attenborough. Back in the day, in about 1985-86, I used to do 24-hour bird races. And this was the place we always started, because you could rack a massive species list at Attenborough. It really is the most wonderful site. Um, you know, I remember we had lesser whitethroat here. You can get whitethroat, you can get blackcap, you can get garden warbler, you can get all the wetland species. And now you can add sandmarks into that list. Um, so I've got a really strong connection with, I, you know, after I graduated from Nottingham University, I worked for the British Trust for Conservation Volunteers and kept visiting Attenborough Nature Reserve. I remember I've been on quite a few twitches here. I remember twitching a great white egret in about 1988, yes, if I correct. Uh, possibly about that year, it might have been 87 or 89, and a few other things in between. I've just seen red-crested potchard as well. Um, anyway, I'm obviously honoured to, to come and see the new hide. Um, I've just had a, the, the quickest ever sprint around it, and it looks amazing. Um, the San Martins are just kind of probably not peeping their heads out the holes at the moment because um, the weather's uh, a bit changeable, but they may well be out like the Swifts in a minute. Um, it's an amazing facility. Another thing that I found recently, which completely baffled me, especially because of discussions that Emily and I have had recently, is that we seem to have a nesting box, at least one on a roof somewhere, <laughs> which we didn't know about and there's a photo of it so we're trying to figure out which roof it's on do you remember you remember i know why it's there and i know <laughs> what species it's for I, I wasn't here when it was installed um that the box is a it's a box for black red starts uh, and the black red start is a bird that's very much um 
typical of urban habitats uh, after the Second World War, actually. So if you look at old textbooks, um, it will say that, you know, the sort of um, the strongholds for the Black Red Star are places like Leeds and Nottingham. Um, and really, it's, a, it's an alpine species. And the reason it was in various towns and cities across the UK um, is because it made use of the sort of um, all the bombed out remnants of, you know, of, of bombed out buildings and that sort of almost that scree mm. habitat um, but they nest on cliffs or nest in you know nest in mountain areas so tall buildings yeah. um, and urban areas where there was um, at that point you know bombed out rubble etc yeah. they became synonymous with many of our towns and cities Nottingham in particular but the population has been in decline for certainly for 20, 20 or more years so those boxes and we've got them on uh, a couple of the NTU um premises as well yeah, trying to put them back buildings. trying to put them back on some of the city sites because they a lot of the derelict buildings they might once have uh, nested in are being brought back into use so it's trying to they are only seen very infrequently in the city now um, but they're one of those species that we'd like to try and hang on to and if yeah. we can working with people like yourselves um, to put in some specialist boxes so that's that's what that is but I don't know exactly which, which roof so, it's on. yeah I mean if we get the photo out and wander around after this we can probably figure out which roof it's on but it, it would be really cool if we could take a look at it and you know see if it's actually being used and yeah, yeah. and those species like that like Nottingham crocus and black red star which are so synonymous with the city and urban yeah. wildlife urban wildlife's always been a real focus for the trust um, many trusts are quite rural or we've always had a, a body of people within our volunteers within the wildlife trust that have said rare and spectacular mm -hmm. wildlife you know out in the countryside is really important but the wildlife that people might get to see in the city is really important too because yeah. that's the wildlife most of us have a chance to connect with on a day-to-day -day basis and that's why we don't want to lose things like the nottingham crocus or, or, or the black red star i'll just add to that i think i agree and i think i've been starting to work with city kind of businesses and um looking at ways that we can do things like just like what Erin's saying there so working to see if there's areas um businesses in the city that have got areas that we can relocate or yeah. kind of get some crocuses in from that would have been there years and years ago that are now nowhere to be seen we've even got a street isn't it crocus street just across the way yeah well, of course it's called crocus street and there are some crocuses that i noticed a couple of days ago when i was walking over there. back so yeah you've got that you've got crocus street which is in the meadows because they were they were part of the river meadows um so there are ancient tales of you know of, of people walking up from there the river trying with arms full of crocuses and you know it's that it's that it's where wildlife actually tips over into our culture yeah and into literature you know it's a, mm -hmm. it's part of us it's part of our makeup and yeah we want to try and celebrate those species but also see if we can you know bring some of them back i'm gonna go to the magnificent elephant in the room who's sadly not in the room um <laughs> but one of the one of the i mean actually no it's the best photograph in our archives is of sir david attenborough pouring a pint of i think it's painted lady which is a butterfly as well it is. um so he's pouring a pint looks like the Vic in Beeston is that right yeah we were very lucky to have Sir David in Nottingham he was he was here to open the, the nature centre at Attenborough he'd, he'd, he'd originally come back come in 1966 to open the nature reserve um, and then we invited him back to open the nature centre uh, and that's why he was here in Nottingham so it was it was great and then you know to, to, to get him across I can't remember how we persuaded him <laughs> to come over to uh, to to the Vic um, but it was you know it was a really important day for us to have him there and the crowd that we that he drew uh, at Attenborough was amazing you know, I don't think he was quite at the sort of uh, national treasure status that he is now I think it was very much more people who are interested in natural history and mm -hmm. enjoyed his television programs I think he was more seen as a, a sort of a television personality 
he certainly hadn't got into his campaigning uh, phase. Um, but I, you know, I do believe that 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 day and having a conversation with him, there was there were some conversations with him with people within the trust, sort of pushing him to maybe use that platform. Mm-hmm. There, there are there are some stories told about you know side conversations about encouraging him to use that that influence yeah. and platform a little more. And we've certainly seen that over the last twenty years with him oh, becoming yeah. you know um, uh, the the go to you know campaigner and the person who's really spelled it out to a lot of people that what we do is having an impact on the planet. You know we need to do more. To have Sir David, you know, in Nottingham, um, he's so um, linked in with Attenborough Nature Reserve. Many people think the reserve is named after yeah, Sir we, David. Yeah, we thought that. To be fair. Um, <laughs> he takes his name from the village. You know, there's much said about his yeah. uh, his roots in Leicester, and obviously he's from Leicester. He's, he, he was born and grew up in Leicester, but his family roots are here in Nottinghamshire. Mm-hmm. So, so Attenborough and Long Eaton. He, he was born and grew up in Leicester, but his family roots are here in Nottinghamshire. Mm-hmm. So, so Attenborough and Long Eaton are very much part of his family history. So, yeah, he takes his name from from Attenborough and tells. He's got some great stories about coming back to Nottingham as a, as a young boy and discovering Attenborough Village, um, the one he told at at our anniversary of, of the opening of Attenborough, um, was amazing. Uh, Basically, you know, he was on the train on an unsupervised school trip to Nottingham. I think he was going to the castle. Uh, the train stopped and the guard shouted Attenborough and apparently he shouted, yes, sir. <laughs> um, and that's how he discovered Attenborough and then started looking looking back and discovered his family were from there. Oh, so, yeah, wow. again, uh, you know, we don't see too much of him. He's very busy. He's a lot more in demand than he was. And yeah. he, I he's always been highly regarded, but I, he certainly wasn't at the sort of national treasure mm-hmm. um, status that he is today. Yeah, I, mean, I think he's the national treasure. Yeah, I think we might struggle. You know, I think we might struggle to replicate that, that yeah. photo much as we'll keep trying yeah. <laughs> um we you know we're always keen you know there's an opportunity for him to come back to nottinghamshire and obviously in the last uh, the last couple of years we've managed to with public support to purchase attenborough nature reserve and yeah and so david's backing for that campaign was amazing yeah. attenborough nature reserve is a symbol of hope in a challenging world it's a natural oasis at the edge of a big city full of remarkable and beautiful birds and other wildlife Please give as generously as you can to help us make sure this place is forever safe in the hands of Nottinghamshire Wildlife Trust. We're still hopeful that you know one day in the not too distant future we might we might get him back to Attenborough. Yeah. Uh, he, he opened the reserve. Um, he then opened the, the nature centre. Um, I mean, I hope we'll get VIP tickets. I'm sure, whatever. I'm sure you will. But, uh, <laughs> whether we'll get him back in the uh, in the Vic, I'm not quite sure. Yeah. But we'll try. So now it's time to talk beer. We're pleased to announce that we've brewed a beer with Nottinghamshire Wildlife Trust earlier this week. And this is what our brewer had to say ahead of getting started. It'll be a subtly spiced wheat beer uh, inspired by Belgian wit beers, but using UK ingredients wherever possible, infused with responsibly sourced orange peel and fresh coriander. It'll be available in cask, keg and can, UK hops, malted barley and wheat in the brew. The beer balances creaminess with refreshing crisp acidity, Aromas of banana and clove backed by fresh citrus and subtle spice on the palate. Easy drinking and satisfyingly full flavoured. I'm very much hoping it will be delicious. (laughs) 
so now we've also got a design competition for Into the Wild, which is really exciting. We haven't done a design competition for quite a few years now. Um, but yeah, so if you've ever wanted to be a beer designer, now is your chance. The beer will be available in cask, keg and can, so you've got loads of different formats to play with. And we're asking you to take inspiration from the theme Ancient Woodlands. The competition closes on the 23rd of Feb at 11pm and everything that you need to know is on our website castrockbrewery.co.uk forward slash wild and you can submit a design or multiple designs if you want to. Have a look and see if it's something that you'd like to get involved with. We'd love to see what you guys come up with and we'll be putting on an exhibition at the launch event with as many of the designs as we can um, on show for everyone to have a look at and uh, just remember it's over 18s only. We'll be launching Into the Wild at the Canal House in Nottingham on the 16th of March. By the time you guys hear this episode, tickets should be on sale. So have a look on our website, go to the shop page and get yourself a ticket. It will be a really fun night, uh, all of us together and talking about the Wildlife Trust appeal for this year and having a bit of a reminisce about our relationship so far with a quiz and food and of course tasty beer um so yeah get yourselves a ticket check out our website and um hopefully we'll see you there okay so we're gonna uh, finish these three episodes with a little feature that i'm calling green shoots and i'm calling it green shoots because uh md colin wilde likes to use a lot of metaphors and his current favorite seems to be that we're finally seeing the green shoots after the pandemic um so it seemed pretty pretty um appropriate for this um so we just wanted to see if you guys could share um a way that you like to connect with nature or wildlife that um that listeners can introduce easily into their lives green shoots 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 quite an apt one i think with that with that title um majority of my interest in nature all stems from gardening all stems from my, my my love of gardening my passion for gardening um i'm not a botanist by trade i'm not an ecologist um i'm very much a general naturalist and it all stems from my love of gardening and being out in the garden and you know seeing the wildlife that's around me um i spend a lot of time on my allotment so you know robin hopping around after me you know if i'm clearing mm-hmm. an area or you know seeing seeing the butterflies fly around it's actually being out in there i probably spend more time on my allotment than i do you know on nature reserves and i know yeah. you've got an allotment haven't you too emily yeah, just um, got an allotment that we, we got it in November, so I'm eagerly awaiting. <laughs> springtime. Um, yeah, springtime. And I think mirror really kind of what Erin said there. It's, you know, from a young age, we, you know, I grew up where we had, we grew our own vegetables. We were out, mm. in the, out being outside was kind of what I did when I was a kid. I was outside yeah. in the garden, gardening or, you know, helping grow our own vegetables. And I think yeah reconnecting with that and getting allotment is taking it that little step up for me from yeah, my garden for sure um, and I'm really looking one thing I'm really looking forward to doing is um you know creating a little pond in it and making a little bit of a nature I want a pond scene in, in the yeah I'd, I'd be lovely I know and I just think I always one of the first things you know when when joining the trust that just I didn't even really think about too much was how important a water source or how important a little pond yeah even in just in your back garden yeah. what how important that is for wildlife and um yeah i think i've even had the conversation with lewis um previously about i was gonna say yeah i was gonna say so i wanted to do a little shout out to um my predecessor and very good friend lewis townsend who obviously managed your 
the relationship really for he was here for a decade and I think probably at least eight years of that was you know he was working closely with you Erin and I know that um he a couple of years ago um took some time off work and dug a pond a huge pond in his in his garden um and sort of tracked the results and shared the results um on his own blog which I can't remember the name of gentle waves um <laughs> but uh yeah it's just amazing to watch that and like you were saying it's that seeing the results and seeing you know what the the wildlife that that comes from this water source yeah, it, it was clear in working with with lewis that there was a there was a personal interest there yeah. as well and it was, it was really interesting to see that that grow and develop over the years working with him but in terms of something like a pond again people might say well you know what difference will it make? Well, pretty much in all of my time at the Trust, which is nearly 30 years now, you know, we've always said that new records of things like frogs mm -hmm. generally only pop up in urban and suburban areas. You know, we, we're not getting new records of, of frogs out in the countryside. It's from new habitat. It's from habitat yeah. people are creating in their gardens. Um, we've seen things like, you know, many of the garden bird species, things like a nest box. It's a great way of engaging with nature, but actually putting out food for birds and nest boxes has helped a number of yeah. those species. Um, whereas when we look at some of the birds that do rely more on the sort of traditional farmland habitats, those numbers are still suppressed or in decline. So actually, you know, the actions that people take at home can have an actual impact yeah. on nature. It's not just a nice thing to do. Mm -hmm. It can make a real difference for wildlife too. That's great. And quite a few of those things, I guess, people who don't have access to an allotment or don't have much outdoor space there are quite a lot of things that you can still do with you know just a small bit of space so presumably nesting boxes you know obviously you can attach those to the outside of your property you can do container ponds as well can't you yeah so you can do you can do just a, like a, a washing bowl pond yeah. a washing bowl pond that we've talked about there's a there's a fact sheet on our, on our website for, for, for that very thing where you literally just sink a, if you've got a small patch or you can just sink a, wash, a washing up bowl into the ground yeah. a few rocks and you've got a great little habitat um, but one of the things i did speak to lewis about and we did some some of the some of the pubs and gardens is things like hanging baskets if you fill a hanging basket um if you've got a really limited space, you know, a balcony or, or even mm -hmm. just outside your front door, a hanging basket full of, you know, edible herbs, you know, culinary herbs, mm -hmm. um, the flowers on those will have pollen and will attract, you know, bees and other pollinators. So yeah. you don't have to have a lot of space. Yeah. Um, you know, say many of the, you know, and you don't have to create a wildlife area. So sowing wildflowers, you know, can be quite tricky, actually. Mm -hmm. um, but if what you're trying to do is help pollinators, then, you know, plant some oregano, you know, stick some oregano in a hanging basket. And your food tastes good. And your food tastes good, <laughs> and you'll be helping the pollinators. So there's some really easy ways you can help wildlife with, you know, almost no space at all. Yeah, that's awesome. Thank you. If you have your own recommendations on things to do in nature that inspire you or help you relax, please send in your submissions. You can drop us a message on social media or send us an email on marketing at castrockbrewery.co.uk. Join us for the next episode of the Cast Rock Brewery podcast on Tuesday the 10th of March where we'll have special guest Michael Walker from Nottinghamshire Wildlife Trust with us talking about their 2022 campaign. Mm -hmm.